Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33. We will not need to take very long. I laid out the framework and the context for Isaiah 32, so I'm not going to repeat it. We are just going to approach the pinata, and I have the baseball bat. And, and I am not being foolish with the Word of God. Does the Bible describe, did David say that the Word of God was sweeter to him than honey and the honeycomb? What kind of things are in a pinata? But sweet, good things, and I want to open that pinata and scatter some candy, because Isaiah 33 is an unusual chapter in that it makes transitions with blinding speed and jumps all over the place as Isaiah wraps up the prophecies about Sennacherib, Assyria, Hezekiah, and Judah. We're going to get to chapters 36 through 39, and they're all about Assyria again, but it's pure history with no prophecy. It's a repetition of Kings and Chronicles. But this is just wrapping it up. Have you ever watched the Apostle Paul when he gets to the end of an epistle like 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5 just has all these little short statements, despise not prophesying, abstain from all appearance of evil, pray without ceasing. You know, just, he's just throwing everything that he can. To, it's what we have in Isaiah 33. And there are some exciting things that I hope will cause your heart to shout inside or outside that we have a great God a great God and he wants to be known as a great God and he loves what he does to his enemies and it should affect us it should give us faith and zeal and desire to live for him every day Isaiah chapter 33 I'm not going to go over that outline it was too long and it could actually be longer for this particular chapter because there were so many transitions here but with our context and framework set which is, it is the reign of Hezekiah. The difficulty and trouble that they faced was Assyria and the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, and how the Lord destroyed that army and brought about a great revival. And we saw it in chapter 32. We saw it in 32, laid out slowly with only a couple transitions. There was a transition at verse 9 when it addressed the women, and there was a transition at verse 15 where it said, he'll pour the Spirit down from on high. And it, was, it, it looked like the other chapters. 33 is different. One verse at a time in some places. And this will not take long. But it ought to get all of your affection for the Word of God. It ought to get your attention for the Word of God. These are large events in history. This is the mighty Assyrian army. Their king came into the area of our Old Testament church. And God had something to say about him and his blasphemous mouth. And he's going to take him apart in this chapter in a variety of different ways. Let's love this God. He loves his works to be talked about. He loves them to be remembered. And I have the privilege of preaching them. Though at times some of these chapters take some work to set the context for them. Once the context is set, they're not that difficult. But here we go. In Isaiah chapter 33, and Lord, I am the least and I am the worst, but I thank thee for all thy words that thou hast given us and the understanding that you have given us of them. They are all plain to him that understandeth. And I rejoice 
in your greatness and in your glory and what you did when people repent and what can happen when your spirit is poured out from on high. Let these people see it and let them lead families and let them make this church the church that it ought to be full of the Holy Ghost and having great power to do the things that we ought to do, living righteously, repenting of our sins and basking in peace and assurance forever. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 1, God mocked Sennacherib and Assyria. This verse stands by itself. Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. This is Sennacherib and Assyria. They were in the world to spoil. They had made an ex expedition 700 miles into the area of Judah to spoil cities and to take stuff back to Nineveh. Woe to thee that spoilest that Sennacherib, and thou wast not spoiled. No one hurt you. No one offended you. No one spoiled you to cause you to do this to us. Judah did you no harm, and yet you want to come and take all the fenced cities and take Jerusalem and raise the city and destroy our temple and worship. Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled, and dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. Hezekiah sent a messenger. Do you remember this? It's 2 Kings 18. Second, I mean, Hezekiah sent ambassadors of peace to Sennacherib asking, how much do you want to leave us alone? And Sennacherib gave him a number. And Hezekiah gave him that amount. And then he sent Rabshakeh with an army. They dealt not treacherously. You deal treacherously, but we did not deal treacherously with you. This, if you read the three accounts of the Bible, you will know that this happened. That Hezekiah paid money for a reprieve and to keep Assyria at bay. But he didn't honor the money. He took the money, and it must have lit his eyes up with a dream. Oh yeah, I hope you're remembering the verses that we've been over. It's Isaiah chapter 29, about verse 7, that described they had a dream, but they woke up and they didn't have anything for their dream. Because God had kept it from them. You deal treacherously, but we haven't dealt treacherously with thee. Here's what God has to say. When thou shalt cease to spoil, when you are no longer fighting in this region, you're going to be spoiled. When you have 185,000 of your soldiers killed and you leave the area, then you're going to be spoiled. Because the spoil that you took from all the cities like Ashdod, Lachish, Libna, Terhaka, and others, the Jews are going to take because you want to get back to Nineveh and are afraid and are shamefaced and you have 185,000 men that can't carry the spoil because they're dead. When you stop spoiling, not actively, but passively, because God stopped their spoiling, then you're going to be spoiled by the Jews. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, when you're no more dealing treacherously, but you're walking carefully back in Nineveh, then your sons are going to deal treacherously with thee. Beautiful. Beautiful. Whoa. When the Bible says woe, there's some serious things coming. And this is the woe upon Sennacherib and Assyria. 
Verse 2. The Jews begged God for deliverance. O Lord, be gracious unto us. We have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. This is a prayer of the faithful in Judah for God to deliver them from the Assyrian army. You know, you can only pray like this if you trust God like Hezekiah did. The Bible tells us that Hezekiah trusted God more than any king before him and any king after him. God has a way of identifying kings and ranking them. David was his favorite, and David had his peculiar, particular, personal ways of loving worship and praise to God that the Lord, the Lord loved about David delighting in him. But Hezekiah trusted God, and it tells us that. And that's why he's one of the great kings. So the prayer is, we have waited for thee. Be gracious unto us. And so do you wait on the Lord? Or do you go rushing off to some other mechanism or means for you to protect yourself or to provide for yourself? If you trust the Lord, then you can make a prayer like this. And I want you to notice, embrace the change in person. From we to there. Notice in the second clause, we have waited for thee. Be thou their arm, instead of be thou our arm. That is very common in the prophets, and it's quite common in the Psalms, and don't let it trouble you. It's just reaching out and grabbing everyone. And we should be praying for ourselves, and we should be praying for others. So, we have waited for thee, be thou their arm. I and we that are with us, and those that are not with us, save all of Judah. Just get used. There's so many of these. I just wanted to mention it here in this second verse. We need you to be our salvation in the time of trouble. Oh Lord, be gracious. Is that a very long prayer? Did the prayer get an answer? The Assyrian army ruined for spoil. Verses 3 and 4. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. And your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. The Assyrian army is ruined by the prayer and the judgment that was issued in verse 1. The judgment issued in verse 1 was based on praying by the faithful in Judah, and God destroyed the army. At the noise of the tumult, that 185,000 were dead, the people, the Assyrians, fled. And the lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. By comparing the two clauses of the parallelism of the Bible, which is one of its favorite ways of writing, you know that this, these are the enemies of the people of God. Because it's God lifting up himself and the nations being scattered. So it is the Assyrians that are the people fleeing at the tumult of waking up in the morning and finding 185,000, two words, dead corpses. That's unnerving. And it was unnerving to them. And your spoil, notice the change to the second person about the spoil of the Assyrians. Your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. I, I know a little tiny bit about growing a few vegetables because of my father. And I have seen what a caterpillar can do to a plant. 
a caterpillar that's hungry and left long enough on your plant or enough caterpillars that are hungry left long enough on your plant can get rid of your plant, can get rid of its blossoms, can get rid of its fruit, can get rid of its leaves. Your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. The Jews are going to come rushing out of Jerusalem and just scoop up everything that you've got and clean the coast that you left littered because you can't carry it all back and you've got such a shame face about the, deceit, about the defeat and the tumult is causing you to flee because it did tell us he fleed in fear. Remember, we got to consider Kings, Chronicles, and Isaiah to find out the whole picture of Sennacherib being defeated. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he, that is a singular male, put for Zion, put for the Jews, run upon them, put for the spoil left by the Assyrians. The spoil, booty, and tribute taken by Assyria could not be all carried back to Nineveh. So Judah would take advantage of the situation. Have you ever looked online to see agricultural business or a field or crops after locusts have been there? They eat it all. They eat it all. They leave nothing behind. And so your spoil shall be gathered like caterpillars devour plants and like locusts run upon fields and eat everything in their sight. Can you see in your life where God has handed you riches of various kinds most freely? He's put us here in America. He's given us the spoil of the Assyrians in different ways. We are so blessed. And we should give him thanks and praise. He's done it by his mighty power. Verses 5 and 6. Praise to Jehovah for the signal victory. Whenever you see the, the adjective signal victory, it means a notable or exceptional victory. And this victory is a notable or exceptional victory, so sometimes I might refer to it as a signal victory. But that's what the word signal means when used as an adjective in a situation context like this. Verses 5 and 6. Praise to Jehovah for the notable victory. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. Remember the first verse of chapter 32? And the righteousness and the judgment, the righteousness of the king, the judgment of the princes, the Lord's done the filling. The Lord is exalted. The Lord's behind this revival, this reversal, this restoration of the power and glory of Judah. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. This is a tremendous revival. This is what we want in our homes. This is what we want in our marriages and what we want in our church. We want the Lord exalted because he dwells on high. He deserves to be exalted. He has filled Zion. Every, any degree of judgment, any degree of righteousness that we have, God has convicted us toward it. Or we wouldn't care about it today. It's all of the Lord. And so that's verse 5 in the revival under Hezekiah of God blessing them. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. What makes things stable? Wisdom and knowledge. The knowledge of God's will. His wisdom revealed in the Bible. When people live that way, it gives stability. We don't have it in America. There is no stability. Men are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine in this country. Uh, doctrine of scripture, doctrine of government, doctrine of relationships, doctrine of sexes, marriage, on and on it goes. Child discipline, unions, labor laws, on and on. 
Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times. This is God blessing a nation. And he blessed Judah under the reign of King Hezekiah. And we have these bits and pieces thrown together into a collage. They're pieces of candy coming out of the pinata of God destroying Assyria and blessing Judah. And strength of salvation. Wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation. God being their helper and saving them from their enemies would give them strength. When God is on your side, who does it matter can be against you? It doesn't matter. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. There's a singular again. It could be Hezekiah standing in for the people. It could be a singular collective noun for all of Zion using a male singular pronoun. It's common in the Bible. I would take you to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and show you how it uses women and the woman. Women and the woman. Women and the woman back and forth to show you how a collective noun works, but it's, not, it's really not worth it right now. What I want you to do is look at verse 6 and say, I want stability in my life. And I want our church to be stable. And I want our country to be stable. So I'm going to practice wisdom and knowledge. And I'm going to pray for it. And I'm going to push for it in our church. And I'm going to pray for it in our country. And I'm going to make the fear of the Lord my treasure. Is the fear of the Lord your treasure? The fear of the Lord in its breadth, in its depth, in its applicability to our lives. It is the treasure of a wise man. What else do you think is a treasure? Money? A job? A car? A house? A family? The fear of the Lord is a treasure. Amen. And it was a treasure under Hezekiah. And if you read the chapters of Kings Chronicles or the chapters in Isaiah that we're coming to, you will know that about his reign. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. This is Zion because it's mentioned in verse 5. And this is Hezekiah their king. And wisdom and stability were promoted by King Hezekiah because he put the Levites out there and he made the people pay to make sure they were in the word of God. And it says, 2 Chronicles 31, 4, that they would be encouraged to preach the, the word of God. So there was public preaching everywhere and the nation abounded in wisdom, knowledge for stable times. They had the strength of God with them and the fear of the Lord in every part of life was their treasure. Yeah. Incredible. Lord, can we have it? in our families, and in our church. You can show it to America again. It's hard for us to imagine it. But if you'd have lived through Ahaz's reign, you wouldn't have imagined Hezekiah. Verses 7 through 9. Judah's terrible plight before the signal victory. Three verses, 7 through 9. These transitions are staggering. They're huge, they're dramatic, and they're quick. They're quick. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without. The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The wayfaring man ceaseth. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. The earth mourneth and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness. And Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Isaiah 33, verses 7 through 9. Judah's terrible plight before victory. Do you understand that we're bouncing around back and forth in this chapter, unlike most? 
But if you'll just read a section at a time, and you'll be able to put them together and see that this is their plight. Now, it's easier to see in verse 8, because you don't know what verse 7 means, maybe, yet. But in verse 8, the highways lie waste. The infrastructure is destroyed by the Assyrian army. The wayfaring man ceaseth. No one is out traveling around because you're going to be stopped by Assyrian soldiers. So travel is stopped. There's, there, there aren't wayfaring men. He, now notice that colon. I've tried to warn you that there's a comma and there's a semicolon, there's a colon, there's a period. And I hope you'll remember that order and the degree of the stop. Next to a period, what has the greatest stop? A colon. It's a count of three compared to four of a period. And a semicolon is two and a comma is one. There is a colon right here stopping you. The highways lie waste, the wayfaring man ceaseth. New thought. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. Who broke the covenant? Sennacherib did. What covenant? How much do you want to leave us alone? We'll pay. He broke the covenant. He's despised the cities by taking all the fenced cities of Judah. And he regardeth no man. Typical Assyrian, cruel, terribly cruel in regarding no man no respect of human life. They would tie them up outside the city, stretching them out on the ground, and have soldiers flay them alive, scraping the skin off them, all kinds of things like that, setting them on poles put in their backsides and suspended at the city walls to scare the inhabitants inside to surrender. On and on it goes. He regardeth no man. That is Sennacherib. The earth mourneth and languisheth. Not the whole, this is not North America, nor is it South America. This is Judah. It mourns and languisheth, and then we have a description. And these four places were places known for their fertile ground and their produce. Lebanon for its cedars. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness. Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. The productivity is gone. Agriculture is ruined because of the Assyrian army. It's the plight of the Jews before God delivered them. And so let's come back to verse 7. Behold, we have a transition out of the praise to Jehovah in verses 5 and 6. Notice verses 5 and 6. It's an obvious praise to Jehovah and a wonderful statement of prosperity. But then 7 is very different. Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without the ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. These valiant ones are Jews. These ambassadors of peace are Jews sent by Hezekiah to ask Sennacherib at Lachish, how much do you want? And then to take it to them, and it didn't work. On their way back, they find out that Rabshakeh has put together a big army and brings it to the gates of Jerusalem. So verse 7, behold, the valiant ones of Judah sent to make peace with Sennacherib are crying because it didn't work. The ambassadors of peace that went to make peace by paying even gold taken off the temple doors weep bitterly because there's going to be war. Do you hate war? Are there young men in this church that need to spend a little bit of time with me and a few of my older brothers to help you hate war? 
Young men love war because they're stupid. That's why governments send young men to fight their wars. Because older men won't go until the enemy is in the street outside their front door. Or something close to that. Young men, if you'll give them three squares a day and their first set of clothes and a gun and a couple medals made in China, they will go die for you. Hate war. These men tried to avoid war the wrong way, and that was to pay off the enemy. Hezekiah tried to avoid war the right way, and it's the way we want to pray for it in this church, and it's the way we have prayed for it in the past to save us from the draft. Though we thank God for everyone that serves. It's just war is a terrible thing. It is so destructive. You know some of the verses that we've looked at in Isaiah so far, when you have a standing army on your... You know, how big was the standing army of Sennacherib? Was it 200,000, 400,000? When you have a standing... an army, Do you know this phrase? The, end, the conclusion of it. An army marches on its... Because you've got to feed them. Do, do young men like to eat? Do young men like to eat a lot? Therefore, armies eat a lot. And they don't really care where they get it from. And so Judah had been ravaged. And they went to, buy, they went to sue for peace with money. And it didn't work. So that's verses 7 through 9. Oh, I've got to pick up the pace and I don't want to. The land of milk and honey was now a wasteland or wilderness from its former glory. Because Judah had been the land flowing with milk and honey. Verses 10 through 13. God arose to mock Sennacherib again. He mocked him in verse 1. Now he's going to mock him again in verses 10 through 13. Look at these verses with me. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Do, do words like that get you excited? When God says, I'm going to get up and do something? Oh, yes. Something big and beautiful is about to happen. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. You tried your method of suing for peace and paying for peace. It didn't work. You came back weeping. I'll take care of this. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff, you Assyrians. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your military councils and your strategic planning of your captains will conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. None of your plans are going to work against Jerusalem. You will not shoot a single arrow. You will not raise an embankment against my city. The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. Your breath, your blasphemous breath, as fire shall devour you. It doesn't hurt us. It's going to devour you because I'm going to make a signal case of people that made fun of my city and of their faith in me. And you compared me to all the gods of the other nations that you have destroyed. Your blasphemous breath will devour you. Verse 12, And the people, your army, shall be as the burnings of lime. As thorns cut up shall they be burned in the fire. God spoke. Assyrian, 
Your army will be burned as in a kiln for turning chalk stone to lime. God spoke. You shall burn as easily as thorns cut up into pieces and dried for kindling. Oh, sweet. These are wonderful verses. Hear, ye that are far off, what I have done, and ye that are near, acknowledge my might. This is what God calls worship. And I love giving him this. Acknowledging his might. Do I have any brothers and sisters here that love acknowledging his might? He wants us to hear. He wants us to read it. What I have done, and ye that are near, acknowledge my might. You Jews in Jerusalem, acknowledge how strong I am. You in the far corners of the earth, read and hear what happened to the Assyrian army when they came near my capital city and my house of worship in Jerusalem of Judah. Wonderful verses. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. You say, you've already read that to us three times, Pastor. I know. So this is number four. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. That's verse 10. I love those words. Do you ever need the Lord to arise for you? He will. He will and he can. And he will be exalted. You know, he had to let their efforts not play out. They sought to the Egyptians. Remember? The Egyptians didn't play out. The Egyptians quit under Terhaka, the Ethiopian, because Sennacherib defeated them. They tried to buy Hezekiah off. It didn't work. They rerouted water. They repaired the, wall, the breaches in the walls of Jerusalem. They tried all their methods. But do you know what the Lord said? They didn't come and ask of me the way they should have. Why are you worried about the layout of the city and the walls of the city and not the designer and builder of the whole place? Remember that? Remember? So he says, okay, I've, I've waited so that you could try all your methods. And brethren, when you're in a situation you don't know what to do and you're scared and you're troubled, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome to go from A to B to C to D. And that's the way I put it. You try option A. Then you go get a second opinion or try another option. It's B. And you try C. But all the time, first and foremost and most, you are calling upon God to bless your efforts. And if He's got a way to show you that's better than the ones you've tried, ask Him to show you. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your plans and your efforts will result in nothing but dust. Your breath, your talk, your blasphemy as fire shall devour you. I'm going to burn you up like in a kiln for burnings of lime or thorns for kindling. And the Lord in verse 13 wants us to know what He's done and to acknowledge His might. Lord, in this church, we always want to acknowledge Your might. And we want to acknowledge what You have done. And we love knowing it. The Lord is known by the judgment which He executeth Sighigion Sila. Yes, we believe and we love it. Verses 14 through 17. Repentance and righteousness save. These transitions are, are wild. The, the, the Lord's going off in verses 10 through 13. Now there's a totally different thought. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. 
Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His waters shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Amen and amen. Okay, here we go. How does this fit Hezekiah and his revival and Sennacherib and Assyria? In verse 14, those are the sinners in Zion. Those are not the believers. Those are the hypocrites in Zion, not the believers. Here's what happened. God did kill 185,000, and he wants it to be known and understood in verses 10 through 13. This verse are the hypocrites and sinners in Judah seeing the mighty power of God incinerate, burn up dead corpses, 185,000 Assyrians, and it caused them to be terrified of their wickedness. They are terrified of their wickedness. If God did this, if God did this to the Assyrians, what is he going to do to us who are the hypocrites and sinners in Jerusalem? Let me give you a comparison. Day of Pentecost. Peter unloads. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Right here. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us sinners and hypocrites that are terrified now because of the power of God so present and taking human life at the extent of 185,000, who among us shall dwell with this devouring fire that burned them up like kindling? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Who can put up with a God like this? How can we save ourselves? And the answer is just beautiful. And it's what a minister gets to do with his life. He makes you know the terror of the Lord to persuade men, and then he tells you what you ought to do. And look at the next verse. He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. Those are six wonderful things. He that walks up, that walks righteously, talks right. You know, you know, we could preach a whole sermon on that one verse. They walk righteously. They live a good and godly life according to Bible rules. They speak uprightly. They guard their speech and do not allow corruptions or deceit. They despise getting ahead any ungodly way. They will only profit by godly labor. They would never take a bribe or give a bribe to corrupt judgment. They fear nor respect any man. They refuse to hear violence against any. They reject backbiting, slander, or tattling. They shut their eyes to avoid the lust of sight. They cannot approve of sin. It's all there in verse 15. Do we have other verses in the Bible like this? Oh, yes, we do. We have it in Psalm 15. Who shall ascend into God's holy hill? And we have a list just like this. Repent. Do you know what the answer of Peter was to men and brethren? What shall we do? Repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38. How are we going to dwell with devouring fire like we just heard about and saw devour the Assyrian army and send them scampering home? How are we going to be able to abide that kind of a God since we have been sinners and hypocrites? Repent and live righteously. Repent and live righteously. If you'll do that, he shall dwell on high. Look at verse 16. He shall dwell on high. You'll have the best property in the subdivision. He'll dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. He'll have a mountain protecting him. Bread shall be given him, so he'll have sustenance. His waters will be sure. They won't run out. The pump won't go dry. Everything you need to survive and for protection will be given you. And you will see the king in his beauty. You will prosper and be preserved in Judah to see Hezekiah, the great king of the earth, with nations from all over. Do you know why all the nations of the earth came to give tribute to God and to Hezekiah? Because of the wonder done in the land. What was the wonder done in the land? The sun went backward. And the Assyrian army was defeated. And a terminal illness was wiped out. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. Could I preach a sermon on that about the Lord Jesus Christ and use Psalm 45? Of course. Could I preach it about Cyrus? Of course. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Could we apply that to heaven? Of course. Where had the Jews been while Sennacherib and his army were in Judah? Where were the Jews? All confined in a birdcage called Jerusalem. Remember how Sennacherib wrote about it? He says, I have locked up Hezekiah in a birdcage. He can't go anywhere. They couldn't go anywhere. That's why there were no wayfaring men. That's why there were no highways opened. The infrastructure was destroyed, and you didn't dare leave the protection of the city. They shall behold the land that is very far off. They're going to be able to go visit the Mediterranean. They're going to be able to go anywhere they want to in all of Judah instead of that little tiny city. Jerusalem was a little tiny city compared to what we think of as cities. And so that is verses 14 through 17. They are t- the hypocrites and the sinners in Jerusalem are terrified because how are they going to last with a God like this? They are told by the, by the prophet that if you'll repent and live righteously, you're going to enjoy the best and God will protect you and you will see King Hezekiah restored as a great monarch of Judah. Judah will be mighty and prosperous again and you'll be able, and they, thine eyes, shall behold the land that is very far off. You'll be able to go check out your property that you had, you know, a hundred miles from Jerusalem. The next section, verses 18 through 22. Contemplation of absolute victory. Thine heart shall meditate terror. This is one of the neatest expressions in the Bible. Thine heart shall meditate terror. Contemplation of absolute victory. Where is the scribe? Where is the receiver? Where is he that counted the towers? Thou shalt not see a fierce people, a people of a deeper speech than thou canst perceive, of a stammering tongue that thou canst not understand. Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities, Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. 
But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. This is their salvation from the Assyrians and from Sennacherib. Thine heart shall meditate terror. When I get done with the Assyrians, you're going to sit around and meditate on how scared you were. Oh, it's always better on the other side after a nightmare, isn't it? After a nightmare, it's good to wake up and consider how terrified you were and how it's all gone. Thy heart shall meditate terror. But notice, the fierce people are gone in verse 19. So what does it mean to meditate terror? You're going to remember how afraid you were, and you couldn't solve it, and I did. Where is the scribe? Where are the men that mustered the army? Where are the men that paid the Assyrian soldiers? Where are those spies that were counting the number of towers on either side of the battle? Where have they all disappeared to? Why are all preparations for conflict now ended? Thine heart shall meditate terror. You know, I loved writing that in the preparation to you yesterday because I know that you could say, yep, the pastor's back to one of his favorite activities, and that's to meditate on terror. <laughs> no. This, this meditation on terror is to think back how afraid you were and how there's no more preparations being done for battle. It's over. Right. You, you won't even see these people again. Do you know what Moses told Israel? When they got to the other side of the Red Sea, before they got to the other side of the Red Sea, before, Moses told them in Exodus 14, verse 13, he said, Israel, these Egyptians that you're terrified of right now, you shall never see them again forever. And he drowned them in the, he drowned them in the Red Sea. Thou shalt not see a fierce people, a people of deeper speech than thou canst perceive, the Syrian tongue, of a stammering tongue that thou canst not understand. Those foreign invaders that were going to occupy this territory and take your city, you will not see them. They are gone. You instead can look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities, where we have our feasts, where we have our holidays, where we worship God. You can see Jerusalem being a quiet place, not a scared place, with people counting towers, repairing walls, and enemies doing the same. A tabernacle, and it turns it into a, a tent. All of Jerusalem is now described as a tent, as a similitude, a tabernacle, that's a tent, that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. Zion, Jerusalem, is going to be like a tent that is secure, it is safe. You shall not see these people that speak another language that were going to come in here and pull up the stakes and pull away the cords and bring it to the ground. But... But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. Jerusalem was landlocked and inferior to other cities by not having water transportation for commerce, trade, and defense. But there in Jerusalem, the glorious Lord, I love that expression, there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. Though Jerusalem might be insignificant, and we can compare it to a tent, it is going to be secure, and it's going to last. And the Lord is going to bring us all the positive benefits of water like a river. Think of Thebes, 
What river did Thebes have to be the greatest, one of the greatest cities of Egypt? Give me a four-letter word that's the name of a river. The Nile River. What made Nineveh great? It was on the Tigris. What made Babylon great? It was on the Euphrates. What made Tiger great? It was in the Mediterranean. Water is a tremendous way of transportation. Go to Charleston and look around sometime. It's the clock that does the uh, volume. Okay. <laughs> there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams. Now notice, there is a negative of having a river come to your city. There is a negative of a broad river that comes to your city. Galley ships with oars and sail ships with sails can bring enemy troops to your city. Wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. O oh, that gallant ship, O oh, Sennacherib. No gallant ship or galley is going to pass by Jerusalem, but God will bless them so abundantly it would be as if they had broad river flowing right through Jerusalem. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. The Lord can do so much more than Hezekiah could do. And the Lord did do so much more than Hezekiah could do. All Hezekiah could do was pray. And that worked. Okay, he has set the stage for the Assyrian navy. The prophet has said, God is going to bless Jerusalem. Those people that you feared so much that speak another language, those foreign invaders, they're gone. They're out of here. Look at the calm Jerusalem. It's like a tent. No one's going to pull it down. They aren't going to pull up a single stake because I'm going to protect it, and I'm going to bring a broad river to supply it with water so it has all the benefits of any city that there's ever been. And there won't be galleys or ship, sailing ships on it to bring in foreign troops. Then God mocked the Assyrian naval fiasco in his final two verses. Oh, Now he said that Jerusalem's not going to have a galley ship get, coming up the river or down the river and there won't be a sail ship in there. But then he addresses the owners of the ship, the Assyrians. Thy tacklings are loosed. Those are the stays that hold a mast in place. Thy tacklings are loosed. They could not well strengthen their mast. They could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. What a way to end it. God's going to forgive the Jews of Jerusalem with their total victory over the Assyrians. Now this is a naval similitude. And the naval similitude is, the gallant ship Osenacherib sailed from Nineveh and came 700 miles toward Jerusalem. But the tacklings were loosed, the stays were loosed, the riggings of the sails and the masts were loosed. They could not strengthen their mast to put up full sails. They could not spread the sail to move the thing. And there's a few of us in this room that have been on a sailing vessel that didn't have a mast and didn't have sails. And there's an expression for it. It lies blank in the water, dead in the water. 
And so it's the naval ruin of Assyria by a similitude. And for those of you that want to study the power of God in defending certain peoples on earth, go home and type in the Spanish Armada. And about that naval force and what happened when it tried to take England, the Catholics against the Protestants. Listen, God honors Protestants over Catholics every time, even if they don't have all the truth. The tackling or of a, rigging of a ship came loose so they couldn't keep their mast straight and still and strong. The tackling came loose so they couldn't spread their sails. With the navy unable to take Jerusalem but left floundering, the Jews took the spoil, dead in the water. The Assyrian military campaign, like a ship in this case, Jerusalem is going to get all the positive benefits of a wide river supplying its commerce and its agriculture, but the negatives of a foreign ship will never make it in because he's going to rip the riggings down, the tackling down, the sails won't go up, it's going to lie dead in the water. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. Out come the Jews because the Assyrians are running back to Nineveh, 700 miles away, out come the Jews, and they divide the great spoil of the Assyrian army. The lame take the prey. Oh, I love the Lord's choice of words. There's cripples out there taking the prey and dividing the spoil that the Assyrian army left behind. And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. Do you know why? Because every single inhabitant wanted to be outside that city and partake in the ticker tape parade and divide the spoil. So even those that didn't feel very good, they didn't say it that day because the whole nation was out there celebrating this signal, notable, exceptional victory of God over the Assyrian army. The inhabitant shall not say, I'm sick. I don't feel like going out there. To oh, no, 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 no. There's money laying all over the field. They all went out there and they divided the spoil. And, oh, there's another colon. I think that's a pretty strong break. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. What a glorious God. This is what he does for his church. And so end the prophecies, the majority of them about Sennacherib and Assyria. We'll see some history coming up in, a, in just a couple of weeks in chapters 36 through 39. But, but I, hope, uh, I hope chapter 33 was a little bit like a pinata to you and that there were some sweet little jewels in here about meditating on terror and uh, the Assyrian Navy, which you didn't know about until you got to Isaiah 33. Lord, we love you so much, and we love your word so much. We love every word of it. We love the word tackling. We love the word terror. We love meditate. We love the lame coming out to divide the spoil. Remember what Sennacherib and Rabshakeh said to the men in the wall? We'll put up 2,000 horses if you'll put a deposit on them. And if you, can, if you even have 2,000 men that can ride our horses. Well, the lame came out and divided the spoil of the Assyrian army. Bless the name of God, our God and our Father. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.